0: I wonder what you wanted to do for a career as you grew up. I wonder how that changed over time. I wonder what age you were when you made your final decision as to what to do. And I wonder if you realize now that in no way did you make that decision all on your own. It was not just your decision but that you were influenced by a hundred and one different inputs from family and friends, society and the media. Let me give you an example from my own journey. When I was a child, the first job I wanted to do was to be a vet. Why? Because my family went for long walks in the countryside, where my parents would point out birds of prey and deer tracks in the mud, giving me a love for animals. My favorite day out was a trip to the zoo. Family TV time was spent watching the latest David Attenborough documentary on sharks or rhinos or some unexplored cave in South America. Due to all these things, I wanted to be a vet, a zoo vet, face to face with lions and bears and gorillas. <laughs> by my early teens, it had all changed. My dad had now got me into cycling. This is what we did father and son, hurtling through the Buckinghamshire lanes as fast as we could. We did it every weekend and even on weeknights. It was fantastic. And then in 1999, when I was just 14, Lance Armstrong won the Tour de France. A great story, or so I thought back then. He was my hero. I had his books. I saved up and bought the bike that he had. I now wanted to be a professional cyclist. And soon I was training and even doing some races around the country. But as with 99% of teenagers into sport, you soon realise that although you might be a little bit better than your friends, there are others your age who are on a whole different level. And actually, you're never going to make it as a professional. So by 16 to 17, I had now turned to the academic. I was good at science at school. I got good GCSEs. And my teachers were all pushing me towards a degree in medicine. They thought that I could do it. And through their recommendations, I got a place at a top London university. Yeah, even that was not to be. You see, at that point, I got into a disastrous relationship. Yes, the hormones were raging. And I crashed out of school altogether. And soon I was up to my knees in mud, digging holes on building sites. The point that I'm trying to make is that whether for good or for bad, every aspect of our life is influenced by the people we surround ourselves with, by the media, the society that we live in. None of us grow up in a vacuum. We are formed by the community of which we are a part. Now, I won't bore you with the rest of the details, but it wasn't until I was 21 that I began to sense the call to ministry. And then again, it took a community to get me through that. The local church that I grew up in, in High Wycombe, the community of the Baptist Union, and the direct community of living within Spurgeon's College for three years, were all required to get me ready for the role that I do today. Even God does not form us all on our own away from others. He shapes and prunes us through the community of his people. And you, here today, are now the people that continue to shape me by the things that you say to me and pray for me. The point that I'm trying to make is this. We don't grow up knowing everything instantly. We learn from others as we go. We watch what the people are doing around us. And then we practice to gain experience. The passage that we have just read in Luke leaves us in no doubt that Jesus went through a very similar process. Jesus was not propelled directly from amazing birth to amazing adulthood. He went via the normal route of infancy, childhood, adolescence. And that is a distinctly messy journey. Think for a moment what life is like for a child under five They're all learning what it is to be a human. And it's a dirty and painful process. As they learn to eat, food goes everywhere and it's rubbed into the carpet. And you have to change their tops three times every day when they've missed their mouths. As they learn to walk, they fall over and bang their heads and scream the place down. As they learn to speak, some days they do really well. And others, they struggle to get things across and they get frustrated and tired. Growing up is a messy, dirty, tiring business, and it can be really exasperating for all concerned. Well, this passage tells us that Jesus also grew up in a messy way. Why? Because he was human, truly human, in every way like us. What could be more human than having your foreskin removed? What could be more human than being cradled in an old man's arms? What could be more human than upsetting your parents by disappearing unannounced? And then when they find you, giving them a rather flippant answer. Jesus was truly human and Luke is ruthlessly blunt about it. He doesn't leave us with the option of believing that somehow Jesus had a split personality. That one minute he was human and the next minute he was divine, depending on what the circumstances were. Neither are we allowed to believe that Jesus was human with divine attributes bolted on. As if even when he was a child, Jesus knew everything and could see everything and had the power to do anything. It just wasn't like that. Jesus had to learn to eat and to walk and to talk like the rest of us. And suddenly, then, the real mystery of the incarnation that we celebrate at Christmas hits us. The real majesty and sacrifice of what it is for God to become a human being and slip in beside us becomes apparent. Jesus was the one who, through his word, created all of the stars. But as a child, he knew nothing about physics. Jesus was the one whose word created every plant and flower. But if you'd said the word photosynthesis to him as a child, he wouldn't have had a clue what you meant. Jesus was Lord of all. But as a toddler, he'd have had no idea of that whatsoever. It's a fascinating question to ask. At what age did Jesus come to understand who he was and what his life's work would entail. At what age did he give up his plans to be a carpenter like his dad and set out for a rough cross of wood complete with hammer and nails? We don't know exactly. I think I'm going to ask him when I see him. But he clearly come to some sort of understanding by the time he was 12. Because when he was in the temple, he was conscious of being in his father's house. But even then, it was probably not a full understanding. He had that when he was 30 and he queued up on the bank of the Jordan, ready to get baptised. Only when he stepped down into that filthy river did he really take on his calling to remove all the dirt and the sin in the world. So for all these years, just like each one of us did, Jesus was growing in self-awareness. The question then is how? How did he come to the point of understanding his very human and yet very divine calling? Well, the answer is in this passage. And astonishingly, it's the same answer as we began thinking about. Jesus came to know who he was... By growing up within a very human community. Jesus grew up and was influenced by the Jewish world in which he lived. It's important that we see that Jesus did not just come into the world from the outside, as it were, but from the inside. He came from inside God's covenant people, Israel. He came from within the family of God. And it was within that family that Jesus learned his true identity and vocation. Twice in this passage, verses 40 and 52, Luke starkly writes that Jesus grew in wisdom. We need to see what it was about the people around him that led to that growth. The first thing to notice is that Jesus was brought up by obedient parents. Now I'm well aware that some people here did not have the blessing of this experience and some people here may not even know who their parents were. So although I think we all want to say that good parents are a really great blessing when we're growing up, the important word to latch onto here is obedient. Jesus grew up watching the obedience of Mary and Joseph. The truth is God's word always requires a human response and Mary and Joseph were people who gave it. Jesus would have learnt this from them. Mary had obeyed God's word right from the beginning. Do you remember when the angel Gabriel met her and announced her pregnancy? What did she say? I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. A response of incredible obedience. And here, in the first verse of our reading, verse 21, it becomes even more explicit. On the eighth day of his life, just as the law prescribed, they took their son to be circumcised. On that occasion, they also named him Jesus. Why? It wasn't a family name. It wasn't the name of his father, as most firstborn sons in Israel were named. No, he was named Jesus, because that was the name given to Mary By the angel. Even here, they're being obedient. Joseph was being obedient above and beyond any ambitious desire he had for his son to have his name after him. Then again, in verses 22 to 24, Mary and Joseph act in obedience, this time to the law. When Jesus was presented in the temple at six weeks old, two Jewish customs were fulfilled the purification of new mothers, as prescribed by Leviticus 12, and the consecration of the firstborn, as prescribed by Exodus 13. Mary and Joseph continue to try and obey all that the law of God required. Now, why is obedience so important? It's because in Scripture it specifically says that wisdom comes when we obey the Lord. Wisdom comes when we fear God and try to put into practice exactly what he says. This is a verse from Psalm 111. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all who follow his precepts have good understanding. In this passage, we hear again and again Jesus grew in wisdom. One of the ways he grew in wisdom was because he learned obedience. From being surrounded by godly parents. A godly environment. So Jesus was surrounded by obedient parents. But in the community he grew up in there were other people as well. He was also acquainted with prayerful elders. The second people we're going to take note of are Simeon and Anna. In the Jewish community the elder generation are really important. And when Mary and Joseph arrive in the temple, we see why. Simeon and Anna are steeped in Israel's faith. They are devout and humble and obedient to the law. They're people of great hope and expectation. They believe God to be faithful. Indeed, they've experienced God to be faithful to them across the years. And so they trust implicitly that God will keep all of his promises. Simeon and Anna are also people of steadfast prayer. After all, the older generation has more time to spend in prayer, doesn't it? It says of Anna in verse 37 that now aged and widowed, she spent her every waking hour attending and worshipping in the temple, specifically fasting and praying. And this devout faithfulness, this commitment to prayer and seeking the presence of God had led Simeon and Anna towards the prophetic. God had spoken to them by the Holy Spirit about his Messiah, the one who redeemed all the people, and he promised them that they would see him. Consequently, when Jesus arrives in the temple at six weeks old, Simeon first and then Anna recognize who he is. It must have been very unexpected to them. They can't have been expecting a six-week-old baby. But these two prayerful elders are so in tune with God and his spirit, they know God's promise has been fulfilled. And so Simeon and Anna pronounced blessings and prophecies over his life. Prophecies that astonished and delighted, mystified and frightened his parents. Prophecies. That were passed on to their son as Mary treasured them up, remembering not to forget a single word. So Jesus grew up surrounded by prayerful elders, people who could testify to him about his unique identity and destiny and divinity. And it's within these beliefs and this piety and this prayerfulness and this expectation that Jesus is nurtured by the community around him. Jesus matured through mutual relationships with the faithful believers in God's Jewish family. So Jesus was surrounded by obedient parents and prayerful elders. There's one final set of people for us to take notice of. And they are the scriptural teachers. If we'd taken the time to look at Simeon's prophecy in detail, we would have seen that it is laced from start to finish with Old Testament references. Everything that the Holy Spirit had spoken to Simeon in times of prayer was reinforced by the Old Testament, the people's redemption. the light to the Gentiles, the stumbling block to the proud, the experience of suffering for him and his family. All of these direct quotes from Isaiah. Simeon was entrenched in scripture. And very quickly we can see that that passion for the word of God rubs off onto the boy Jesus. (coughs) After all, what was Jesus doing when he disappeared in Jerusalem 12 years later? He was in the temple asking questions, trying to find out more about God's word from the teachers who were set aside to tell it. So even though we know very little about the first 30 years of Jesus' life, we know that he spent them immersed in scripture, pouring over it, memorizing it, drinking it in, its promises and its prophecies for the future. How do we know this? Well, first of all, because this is what Jews do. They pass on the teaching to their children. But secondly, throughout his ministry, Jesus was constantly quoting it. When he was tempted by the devil in the desert, he quotes scripture. When he stood in that Nazareth synagogue at the beginning of his ministry, he quoted scripture. In the Sermon on the Mount, he quoted scripture. In his conversations with the Pharisees, he quoted scriptures. When he explained why he had to suffer and die, he quoted scripture. He did it all the time. Right from a boy, Jesus had learned the scriptures. And he learnt the vocation of Israel and how it was to bring light to the world and a blessing to the people and salvation. And when you add that to the prayers of the elders and the obedience of his parents, Jesus began to realise that he was the one through whom that vocation would be fulfilled. The calling of Israel was his calling exactly. And the passage ends with these incredible Words. He went down to Nazareth with his parents and was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. Now Jesus had come to this awareness aged 12, but the process was by no means complete. His newfound sense of being God's son did not excuse him from the need to go on being obedient to Mary and Joseph. He would go on for the next few years of his life, learning more and more of who he was and what he was to do with his life. And it would take many more years yet before he reached his baptism at the Jordan. Jesus was surrounded by this community of obedient parents and prayerful elders and Bible teachers. And the father had set this up so that all the good influences his son needed were there so he could grow in wisdom. I think this passage is a fascinating one. In a way, it blows our minds to think of Jesus as this human son of God who had to grow and develop just like all humans do. In truth we will never fully understand it. There is a mystery here that is simply beyond our definition. The fact that we can't really comprehend how Jesus was fully God and fully human just tells us that he was God and we are not. But as we read this passage, we're not just to wonder at it and move on. Because Jesus was really human, he sets the example for us as well. And that means that this passage is relevant to each one of us here today. So I want to finish by asking a couple of questions. We see that Jesus was influenced by the people he grew up amongst. Who are we being influenced by at the start of 2024? We live in a world where society and the media and TV and peer pressure actively discourage us from being Christians, actively work against our discipleship. We don't grow up in a community anymore that is going to lead us towards God. So we have to make sure even more that the people around us are good influences upon us. Every single one of us need to surround ourselves with people who will train us and mold us people who will pray for us and with us people who will share prophetic insight over our lives people who will teach us the bible and hold us to account if our only contact with people like that is for 1 hour on a sunday it is not going to be enough in the world that we now live in so let's ask ourselves honestly are we more influenced by the bible Or the TV? Is it the life of Jesus that sets the agenda for our life? Or society and its values? Do we listen more to the spirit in prayer and the wise elders in the church? Or our friends who we'd really like to fit in with? Who are we being influenced by at the start of this year? Who is it that is shaping us? Because one thing is for certain, none of us live in a vacuum. We are all being shaped by somebody. What can we do to make sure we're being influenced for Jesus this year, just like Jesus was influenced by good people as he was growing up? But of course, that question also works in reverse. Who do we have an influence upon? At home, how are we nurturing our children, our spouses, our relatives? At work, how are we influencing our colleagues? In the community, how are we influencing our neighbours? And perhaps most importantly, in church. How are we nurturing the next generation in faith and those who've been newly baptised? How are we helping them to grow and mature and to find out more about Jesus. Are we a good influence or a bad one? Do we take that responsibility seriously or not? Jesus grew up within the family of Israel, and still today people need the church to grow up to hear about Jesus and become more like him so here is my challenge for 2024 and it's a challenge for me as well we want to grow up in wisdom to be more like jesus and to do that we have to spend time with the right people and under the word of god and in prayer and we also have to do that for others